Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to The Angel with Michael Conniff. That's me. I'll be your host today. We're a podcast that is dedicated and devoted to the money side of things, primarily angels, venture capitalists, um, also family offices, investment firms, hedge funds, private equity. Um, but today we have a special guest, Mark Schechter, um, who is, uh, as of this moment and a few moments before, a best-selling author. Welcome, Mark. Great to have you here. Thank you, Michael. It's really a pleasure. Hello. Mark is the co-founder and CEO of Think8 Global, and he has his new best-selling book is Think8: Eight Steps to Eight Steps to Ignite Your Creative Genius in Business, Career, and Life, which pretty much covers everything. Um, and and so let's let's talk a little bit, if we can. Um, before we get into the meat of the book, I want to know the, you don't have to give us all eight steps, but give us a few, um, because you want people to buy the book and you can get it it's on Amazon now and, and, and elsewhere. But tell me more, um, think you're a person who has a really varied career. You've been in Hollywood, you've, you know, produced and been involved with major stars. Um, and, but you brought that to the business world and you brought it together in a kind of a coherent, philosophy of, of how to not just do business, but how to be in business. So what was the, how did you get there? What was the evolution of that? Well, very organically, honestly, it started uh, first to look at a way to up the sales potential of script writing. You know, as a script writer and so on, you're trying to actually find a way to sell your roots, pick your ideas. So it started there because my agent and William Morris said, you know, I just want to hit. That's all I'm asking, which you know, when you think about it, it's not, but he's right. And uh, so I, I embarked on that. And that, um, the shorter version of the story is really how I, the Manifest System first to help screenwriters and writers in general, composers, go on to up their odds in business, you know, to sell. And then that kind of led to, application in business because business heard about it uh, first through PR and ad companies, a natural, you know, progression of the creative come in and advise us on, you know, you think differently, so help us. And that led into just business in general. And uh, I guess my kind of uh, epiphany was, sounds funny to say it, but I think people can relate that, you know, the arts uh, is obviously based on creativity, but business is no less creative. And when I realized that people in business were doing incredible things and creating business models that are mind-blowing, I went, you know what? That's all. It isn't just dry numbers. These people are awesome, you know, inventions and everything. So I, I developed an entirely new respect. It isn't just accounting. I had to marvel at that. And I thought, well, you know, these two blends. So it kind of migrated from just strictly a, a useful tool for the arts into a business app. It's interesting. So he came at it as a as a writer, um, as I do, um, and as as others do. Um, when you said you, in the very beginning, when you were teaching, helping people to up their games, what did that really mean at that point? So we're talking, you know, what fifteen years ago. What did it mean to help somebody up their game? How and how would you do that? Well, baseline, as a writer, you know this very well. Um, you pitch ideas, certainly in television, there's a, it's a factor. You know, you're always pitching, pitching, pitching. We get the screenplays a little more time at it. But 
your business is really pitching and selling ideas on staff as a staff writer or, you know, when you're out there in the, in the freelance wilderness pitching a new idea for a series and so on. So my intention was in the very first uh, application of this, my first promo piece was writing to sell. And I got flooded with requests. And, I mean, that was the button. You know, you're working with that, like, trying to write something. Everybody, they got a book in mind and they got a, a song that they want recorded. So the business aspect of it seems to be the drop off in education. They don't know how to, how to move that product from the idea to the market. So I thought, well, I, I, I get that process. So if I can help myself and them up the odds, up the game, what I mean is really how to structure the product, the product itself, shape it so it's worthy of marketing. But this is what, I wasn't coming in on here are three tips to market. I started with the idea and the clarity and the cohesion and the integrity of the idea. And that really was kind of the breakthrough moment for me that I realized don't just chase the market, let's just go back and look at what you're trying to sell. Is it marketable? And once I figured that out for myself, obviously I was selling now, but I, my, my, my stats went up significantly from using it on myself. So that led naturally to wanting to share that with others. So obviously, Mark, there's a lot of um, interest and excitement about what Think 8 means and um, why it drove your book to the top seller list. Um, may it always be so, by the way. Congratulations. But but uh, your subtitle is Eight Steps to Ignite Your Creative um, uh, Genius in Business, Career, and Life. So I'm really interested in particular with the connection between business and everything else, right? So how did how did you get to this formulation? And when did when did Think Eight first come about as a philosophy and a program? Well, first well, I get if you want to say philosophy, I think I was just aware um, at an early age, really, that I was creative. I was playing piano and writing songs at 11. And then they got on the radio and I thought, wow, this is really cool. So Wait a minute, I'll your just... songs got on the radio at 11? No, 15. I was writing for a while. No, folk singing groups. And then so... uh, one of my songs got picked up and I went... That's pretty cool. And then it got onto TV where I was invited to be a guest composer on a, a national TV show and introduced as Canada's next songwriter, something like, you know, a real hype. Paul Simon, I'm like, thinking Paul, Paul Simon, I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> actually, true story, I actually beat out Paul Simon uh, to get a soundtrack for a movie. <laughs> when I say beat out, <laughs> It was him or us, and I got the gig, which is hilarious. What, what anyway, was the movie? Oh, uh, you'll love it. Movie? It was called BS, BS, I Love You. And uh, uh, it was an early version of a graduate. Um, uh, and uh, New York Times said it was great and all that stuff. Uh, I've looked up the reviews and it says, and great, lovely soundtrack by Mark Schechter and so on. Wow, but anyway, that's, that's... it's kind of funny, huh? But I, I was really... Um, I was really taken with the creative process. And when I dedicated my career to it, naturally you want to sell, you know, because you get up every morning and no ideas, no food. Very simple equation. So 
in looking at how to up my sales opportunity, I really made an effort to study successes and then isolated eight points that seemed to be consistent uh, or part of or a common denominator with things that seemed to be working in music or film or TV. And these eight points, kind of a reductive thinking, I suppose. I was doing some research while I was still writing in Hollywood, so it was happening coincidentally. And uh, started to apply it to myself, test it out, and it was working. And then other writers and producers and other people said, gee, you know, uh, word gets around. Let me come over to the house and tell me what you're doing. And that led to classes and on and on. The business side was very natural because it was about the business of art. I mean, I was selling better. Mm -hmm. uh, but the surprise to me and to those who were coming over for a breakfast, if they go some food truth, I know they, they love the breakfast, was really to um, look at, uh, was that a marketing problem or was the idea weak? And I worked with them to help them structure a marketable idea. So the kind of the shift of emphasis changed where I, rather than getting into here's how to market or here's who to call, blah, 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 here's how to pitch, preliminarily is the idea worth it. And I got them to really examine that element of it. It's obviously the right sound. I found that when they would pitch me and I would do kind of a, uh, a round robin where they would be sitting around 10 of them in a table or 12 or whatever, I took it to that side and they would pitch me their outlines and I would go with the system and in a minute or two and kind of a, like a chess master going around the room and I would go, did this, 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 that, and, did, 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 and you know, kind of demonstrated that to others, oh, it really was weaker, it didn't hang together. Then they would go out, write something or pitch something and start landing gigs. Then that naturally went to business because it was already business, the business of art, if you like. So uh, I would then be called in to help in PR companies, ad companies, a very natural thing to do from a writer perspective, copywriting, text, and so on. But they would bring me into be more higher level and strategic uh, work while I was still writing, you know, for the major stars. So it became a sideline that grew into the business side. So it really very naturally and organically moved from show business to business. And that was its evolution, really. And, and um, you, how do you know when an idea is no good? Really good question. Um, the fundamental thing, because I later in my career took time from writing full time to uh, be head of uh, development uh, and programming it to networks. I wanted to learn that side of the business. And what I found was that the top writers would be pitching me, which is hilarious, because you know, I flipped it, but I did it consciously. And I found that maybe one or two out of a hundred ideas were solid, meaning that they weren't aligning, they didn't hold together, they had holes. And these are coming from some of the best. And uh, I went, oh, so these eight steps form an integrated whole. It's kind of like you go to a movie and you've probably been there, maybe on occasion there, where you're watching the drama and the dialogue suddenly doesn't make sense because it's inappropriate to the mood and you're laughing when you shouldn't be, or, and I've heard this more frequently, you're watching this tense thing and suddenly the music goes from boom, 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 
and you're going, is it a comedy? Is it a farce? Is it a, so there's a lack of integration. Uh, on the receipt end, it became very clear why the aid staff was working. In pitches, in campaigns, they'd start with an idea, but it wasn't properly developed. They would have a good text, but the tonality was wrong. Um, the message was multiple instead of singular, where, you know, it's this, but it's really saying this, but it's really saying this, and so on. So, to the question. So they're all flawed, all flawed. But the idea might be brilliant, right. but the development of it fell short. Right. And that was really kind of for me, oh, I get it. And that's where the eight steps was then sort of validated from the earlier research that I did in, in LA is like, well, I was right, you know, it, it doesn't hang, it doesn't hold. What can you tell us about, I don't want to give away the, the, the golden goose, but what can you tell us about the eight steps just as a framework for this conversation? Well, eight steps, the first four steps. Well, let me start simply. When somebody approaches, let's we'll take business as an example, an entrepreneurial difficult. They are having trouble. They're a little maybe flatlining in it. They're not growing, whatever. They'll look at the product or the service they're providing and they'll tweak it, tweak it, fix it, look at the market fit and so on. Or they will figure out how better to maybe uh, research it or uh, develop it somehow or uh, operationally get it out to the public or bring in more help or whatever operational systemic kind of stuff in the eight step scale that is number five and number six in priority five being the content six being structural operations and people go if you ask somebody where they start they'll start with the thing right very natural and I go, but there's four points above it. And they go, well, well, what are those? And I go, well, that's about you. Your purpose for wanting to do it, message, what you're trying to say, what is your commitment? What are you really engaged in, you know, providing as a thought or an idea to someone else? Third, tonality. What is the emotional rhythm cadence that you're doing it in if you're a politician are you sounding serious happy you can have the same dialogue with two politicians and one is uplifting and the other is grave character the fourth point is your beliefs your core values your worldview all of these form a very holistic profile of you passionately driven motivated clear in the messaging and so on now write it now produce it now make it, now refine it if it's made. Then you can get into structure, how you operation gonna operate. And seven would be, what's the brand? What's the, the look, the logo, the colors, if it's a product, uh, the, uh, the style of it. Uh, it, it, literally the edit, if it's a movie, the editing, the music, all of those aesthetic things. And the last point impact is really what result you know, all combined, do you want it to provide you? Do you want adoption? Do you, how big do you want to be? Where do you want to grow? What's the dream? When these eight things are fluid and they're all aligned, it's very powerful. Your odds are increased. I'm a little, um, um, I'm struck by how personal the first four steps are yeah. and not impersonal, but but the, the next four are not maybe as personal, but why, if I'm just building a better mousetrap, 
um, or if I'm a founder who has come up with a great idea for a company, um, why do I have to, why do I have to have a purpose and meaning? Why? Why is that? All right. And also, well, why, and also how do you separate that personal purpose and meaning from the business personal and you know meaning purpose and meaning do you do you separate those two well this was really where it kind of landed because this is a frequently asked question but here's here's what happens we come into a company i'll give you an example and they're trying to do a better mousetrap because they think if they do a better mousetrap they're going to sell more mousetraps and Usually, they have been wrestling with this for one to two, and as many as five years. I've been there frequently. One or two anyway. They put money into it. They're bringing this in, and I say, why? And they go, well, we're a bit stuck, so how do we design it better, and so on and so forth. Now, they can suddenly maybe get a better mousetrap with more sales, but they've been probably doing that. What isn't acknowledged is that there may be some other reason why earlier in a process that they haven't looked at or they haven't stayed the course with it or something. What we have found almost, I, I, I can't think of an exception, but I'm sure there'll be odd exception. When they bring us in to fix the mousetrap, we go back to the front end of why are you building mousetraps? Not what's the purpose of a mousetrap. The questions that come out when we sit a group of board members or executives around a table and we ask them that kind of a question, we have never had the same answer from two execs. When we say, why are you doing this? What is your business? What happens is that at that level, they think they're building a mousetrap and somebody's saying peace of mind in the kitchen and somebody's saying, you know, fear of mice and somebody's saying a safe and secure family and on and on. Now, what happens in the messaging, when you get down to it, in the marketing, <laughs> mixed message, it's fascinating that as obvious as the question that you ask is, we have yet to find, I, I really would have to look for the answer, where when we go back there, there's a moment when they're asking the question like, can we just get to the mousetrap? And we go, well, indulge me. Now, we're not often at that because they know when they're bringing us in who we are and all that, but we do that. And then they go, oh, and we're taking them through that kind of, you know, marketing and uh, revisioning process that we do. Mm -hmm. And they go, oh my God, I realize that. And it's not a, the reason we're having trouble with the mousetrap sales is we're really about home hygiene. We're not a mousetrap company. We're a hygiene company. Take Johnson and Johnson. It was the baby, the family company. They might start with powder. But they end up with, so they don't even know who they are, never mind their potential. They didn't even know their derivatives. So the mousetrap company suddenly becomes a family hygiene company, becomes a multi billion dollar. And this has been the process. It's stunning. But, but here's, if I might jump in, just so, but what I'm, I'm um, a little, uh, well, let me put it, I actually know Woody Johnson. Okay. He owns the Jets uh, very okay. casually, not well. Casually, okay. but but okay. are we talking about Woody Johnson's, um, you know, as a presumed owner of Johnson and Johnson, or at least a member of the family, about his feelings and his observations, his purpose, his meaning, 
or are we talking about a corporate purpose and meaning, which to me makes it slide closer to brand than story, you know, um, but which, which one are we talking about? Because um, I'm, I, I know what you're part of the magic here is you, you, you get the personal into the corporate essentially, mm -hmm. it sounds like, but yeah. I, how do you separate that? Or, or do you even try to separate them? How do you marry How do you marry those two things? Well, the eight step kind of does this very intuitively. Eight step, um, of course, makes it sound like an addiction, which I love. You know, you go right. through the program. Right. Right. Step. But eight step, <laughs> hey, you can, get off, you can get off drugs in eight steps. Come yeah, on. yeah, that's funny. But, uh, uh, the, uh, what happens is, uh, if it is, if you fix the mousetrap and the mousetrap suddenly sells more, you have intuitively, if, if I ask somebody, and I do, and I, this was the research, you know, you're selling a lot of these things. Um, let me just, out of curiosity, what was your driving thing for doing it? Um, I've really never had the answer of money. That was the thing. They went, I really felt that. I really, what I was trying to do is, you know, um, my parents came from the Holocaust and I said, I have to build something I care about and own. And I looked at what would be meaningful to them. You know, I get these stories. I've worked with doctors who are redesigning based on our work emergency, um, you know, uh, emergency rooms, emergency centers, um, from a passionate point of view of how to care. It's not just come in and patch them up. It's like there's a whole art form of being able to handle an emergency room and mm -hmm. protocol that would help shape. And so they're doing the job and they're very good doctors and they've got all the high tech, but the approach made them even more open. They found opportunities, they found funding, they, you know, things happen. So a successful business, if you go back and you said to Elon Musk, what are you about? Or when these people, the conversation, Bezos, again, this is only from reading, said, I wanted to be corporately the preeminent, you know, retailer in the world. Okay. That came later. What was he about? What was Jobs about? I was very curious, and this is where the research was. And again, yours to try, because I've worked with a lot of entrepreneurs. We've launched, you know, 150 startups and so on, just alone on that side, never mind, you know, the multinational kind of companies we deal with. And we, I, I asked them and I would go, this is awesome. Like, what was the spark? Whatever the words might be. And they go, well, I'll tell you. And the story comes out. There is a story. And I go, of course, how did that impact this? Well, you know, and then they tell me the story. I realized that my purposefulness and what I was trying to say, now they do it in their own words, but it's really following, or not following. They might've started with the idea and then gone back. But when we are called in to reconfigure something, because something isn't working, we always start at number one. And if they've nailed it down, we go to two and three, just even to verify. But we've never had to verify. We had to actually help them rethink it. At the very least, they never had consensus. The person on the floor had no idea what the boss was doing. Middle management would be confused. You know, you've seen the memos. And they get these memos. We were in a multinational in Paris doing it. And in the middle of our work, 
somebody at the computer went, just a second, and they all crowded around and they went, what is it? They went, it's a new memo, a new mandate something. Oh, another one. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. There's nothing to love about those mission statements necessarily. It's a product, it's gonna service the many at an affordable price and we're socially committed, really? So it's not a defining and differentiating statement anyway, Never mind from marketing, it's useless. Um, there's many stories I can tell you, but what we found with the marketing and the corporate people, and this would be to your point, when they have given uh, the assignment to a PR company, because we have changed their work as well, ad companies, PR, quite major ones too. They would say, we get a non-brief from the company. They're telling us, brand us, figure out who we are, but the company hasn't figured out. So they've put us at the front end of their pitch. And they say, you want to work with us? You got to do this work first. And the company goes, what? We're hiring you. No, no, no. I just want to understand your brief. Okay. That's a word they understand. We get in there. We reshape that and the way the language, now it goes to them. They've got their message down. There's a kind of an epiphany of the group. Their numbers go up. It's kind of like, why does it work? You know, Michael, it works. Yeah. But I understand why it works. But baseline, I've talked to CFOs who are on the phone to me and they go, really, at the end of your pitch, they'll say, it's a leap of faith, right, Mark? Mm -hmm. And I say, yep. Because they way. don't know. And I go, yeah. you seem very confident that it'll work, so we'll hire you. You know, that, you know, you get those occasionally. Like that. So, so you know, it's fascinating because without meaning or purpose, we're not really worth much, really, because we don't have no motivation for what we're we're doing. So, with your your, uh, your book, Think Eight uh, and the Eight Steps to Ignite Your Creative Genius. Um, in business, career, and life. So we have a few minutes left. I want you to segue ever so slightly into how this applies to a person's life. So whether it's a founder, an investor, a middle manager, how do you make this happen in your own life? Do you go through those eight steps starting with purpose and meaning? Well, um, my wife and I, co-founder of our company, Nancy Twitespotkin, I mean, she is no less a part of this an Emmy-winning writer and director herself. Um, she and I, when we look at the raising of our kids, when we look at marriage, when we look at building a business together, we used it. Um, you said something just a moment ago that I think is really everything. Purposeful life. Um, we are running it, and it's particularly acute after the COVID situation, where a lot of people were dropping out. A lot of executives we're dealing with now are going, what, is, what, what am I doing with my life? I've made some money, but, but, but. Uh, you are very purposeful, Michael. You, you wouldn't be doing your work without really thinking about it in the conversations like this. Um, it's driven by something. If you follow that purpose, you can make a living. In fact, it, it, an amazing living. What, what I find is that people never believed. I run into this in business schools when you're doing master's programs. They don't believe and they're never taught with passion or purpose can marry with profit. I'm told frequently by these graduates from Harvard or wherever, I was just on the phone with MIT, right? And they go, you know, but it's a luxury to love what, what you do. It's a luxury. Hmm. And I go, really? Yeah, I wish I had the time. I wish I could make a living doing what I love. To which I say, 
let me show you how you can do it, you know? And they go, no, 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 I, I can't do it. It's like, it's not realistic. And purposeful living is really why those four steps, if you really want to get philosophical, why they're so critical, but they equate to success in life. For example, I come from the arts, right? And then I move into business and blend it too. You talk to artists, writers, painters, graphics people, and you go, musicians, you know this people, and yourself. And if I said, Michael, do you want to do something else with your life? You talk to an artist and go, there is something else I want to do. I write in my book. It's like, you don't have a choice. When I was working with Leonard Cohen, and it's in the book, and we sat together and he was looking to hire a writer to get him into television. And we, and I was hired by him. Ultimately, we won all the awards and everything. Top in the year, top prize in the world, actually, called the IMO Hotel. And I said to him, Leonard, I got to ask you, you know, a poet. I mean, you, you, how are you, why did you make that choice? You know, making a living, I mean, seriously, poetry. And he said, I had no choice. Yeah. And what he meant was, I had to do it. Well, imagine as a business person, as a writer, the artists don't have a problem answering that question. They are living purposefully. They might be broke because they haven't figured out how to market themselves. And that's where right. I started with helping them. But what's the game anyway? Now we're getting into the mm -hmm, you know, philosophical, but honestly, the transition of the marriage of these things was what the book is about purposeful, profitable, not impossible. And personal. Doesn't look how you can marry these two. This is like mind blowing to these graduates. Yeah. It's, it's doable. You know that. It's a great, uh, it's a it's a wonderful concept. It, it, it makes total sense to me. Um, I want to remind our listeners, you're listening to The Angel with Michael Conniff. We're on all the major platforms, Apple, Amazon, uh, and so on. And we're also on YouTube and Spotify for both video and audio. You can go to my website, michaelconniff.com. Uh, you can also um, contact me on LinkedIn. Is not a bad way to do it. Rate our show, subscribe to it, share it if you if you if you can and if you'd like. And um, I want to also recommend to you to find uh, on uh, Amazon and other other sources Mark Schechter's book. He's the co-founder and CEO of Think Eight Global. The book is Think Eight: Eight Steps to Ignite Your Creative Genius and Business Career in Life. We've heard. We've heard a, a big chunk of it here. I feel you've been very generous with that, Mark. And I want to thank you so much for being on the show. And um, uh, it's great to uh, see the success you're having with this best-selling book. So congratulations. Well, thank you, Michael, for the opportunity. And uh, you're obviously living a purposeful life. It's evident. Well, well your, uh, uh, your check is in the mail, as we say. <laughs> Um, but thank you again to our listeners. And remember, we'll be back with another podcast before you know it.